0: making our way through Romans 9, and again, remember here, what Paul is doing, he's building an argument, and and I don't want us to miss this, as we have, we can only handle so many verses at a time, and today I've got to handle a bunch, because I'm out of town next Sunday, we're taking, Friday morning, if you'd pray, we're taking 24 people to the Dominican Republic, and we're serving at uh, the girls' orphanage, Pasitos. and so Tony Sauls is going to preach for me, and uh, I said, Tony, I'll definitely be to Romans 10 by that Sunday, I will be, but it's going to take a lot to get there today. So, um, But uh, that's why, forgive me on the notes. There's, there's a good bit on your notes there, front and back. But remember, remember the whole point of what Paul is doing. Go back to 9.6. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Paul's issue is this. Much of his brethren, much of his kinsmen, countrymen, much of Israel are separated from Christ. How how is that possible? God has made promises. God has declared things over them, and yet much of Israel are separated from Christ. And Paul is explaining in chapter 9 that the issue is not with the faithfulness of God. And what we'll see here this morning again is the idea that God has always, always, always called from a people who are not his people to make his people. That's always been the case. Even what we'll see this morning is the fact that not all all of Israel has never always been saved. There's always simply been a small portion, a remnant, which was saved. And if they knew their word well, they would know that. And Paul makes that very clear to them. Again, the point being is this. Remember, Paul is making sure you understand. Just because someone doesn't believe, even if they're a Jew, the issue is not with the faithfulness of God. God has been more than faithful. He has freely offered a way for people, for sinners, to be saved through Christ. The the amazement is not that there's any way. The, the The amazement is not that there's only one way. The amazement is that there's any way. The amazement is not that he passed over Esau. The amazement is that he loved Jacob. And we should be amazed at the mercy of God. The fact that, again, if you're a believer in Christ, you who were not his people are now his people. Be amazed. And you see on your handout, again, the the more we know the whole story, though, the better we know the Old Testament, and we'll get there, the better we understand what Paul is doing here. And again, main point, you see it there. The reality that much of Israel is separated from Christ, and many Gentiles are reconciled to Christ, proves God's faithfulness rather than compromises his faithfulness. It proves... God's faithfulness. And again, all of this, everything we see here is gearing towards showing that God is faithful to his word. And so to help us see that main point, a couple of subpoints that are on your notes, and we'll work through these. You see it on your handout. The inclusion. The word is inclusion. The fact that many Gentiles are included in the people of God, and the fact that many Jews are excluded Listen, it does not contradict the word, that confirms the word. Paul says that what you see before you simply proves that God is faithful. It doesn't prove that God is unfaithful. And Paul, again, he's showing this. And and the fact that Gentiles are now in the people of God, and many Jews are not, does not contradict the faithfulness of God. God has always called a people... Out of a people that were not his people, mercy. And and again, in the Old Testament, again the the people that comprised it was primarily Jews. But even, but there's a mystery, and it's always been there. And now Gentiles, non-Jews, are being invited into the people of God. and And, and write down Ephesians two eleven through sixteen. Paul Paul deals with this mystery. And he says, therefore, remember that formerly you Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed by the flesh by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For Christ himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. You, you see, even there in Ephesians, Paul is saying this has always been God's goal. This has always been his plan. To form one people out of a people who were not his people. And, and Paul is, is, is saying, again, that God's word has not failed. And, and that was a big deal to them. They, they, the, the fact that Gentiles are being brought into the people of God, that's you and I, be amazed at that. But, but, but God is not unfaithful. And Paul uses this section to show that God has not failed, God's word has not failed, that what you see before you has been God's plan all along. And that's what he says again. In 24, even us who are called, not only from the Jews, but also from among the Gentiles. And Paul quotes here in verse 25, he quotes from the book of Hosea to illustrate this point of the faithful character of God, of God calling a people out of a people that aren't his people to make his people. God, God has always been doing that. And even that, he connects the story back to Abraham. And Paul, again, always takes it back to Abraham. Why? Because God's promises to Abraham really form the backbone of, in some ways, the whole rest of the Bible. You see in your handout, the issue for Paul and Romans in our text here, and for the last few weeks, is this. Here's the question. How are God's promises reckoned to people? How do people become a part of God's people? And Hosea illustrates this common truth—the idea of what we've seen about the mercy of God. That it's not to do with ethnicity; it's due to the mercy of God. And in, and in uh, verse twenty-five of Romans, write down Hosea two twenty-three. God, I mean, Paul quotes Hosea two twenty-three here. I will call those who are not my people my people. And in verse twenty, and he says, "And her who was not beloved, beloved." Verse 26, Paul quotes Hosea 1.10. It shall be in that place where it was said of them, You are not my people. There they shall be called sons of the living God. A little background on Hosea so you'll understand. This is all about the mercy of God. This has nothing to do with you and I and and some inherent worth. And naturally, Paul quotes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Hosea. So if you you know the story, I'll, I'll share with you quickly. God calls this young preacher, godly man, Hosea, and he tells them to marry and have children by an adulterous woman, an unfaithful woman. Her name is Gomer. God tells Hosea to take Gomer for his wife. Hosea takes Gomer for his wife, and very soon, again, the unfaithfulness continues. They have children. Again, scholars debate whether these children are really Hosea's or not. God tells Hosea, name them in such a way that would remind them, remind you and everyone around of the unfaithfulness. And and you see a husband, Hosea, who is faithful to his wife. If you read Hosea 1-3, through you see a picture of a man whose wife is living with other men. Hosea goes to these other men who cannot provide for his wife and he gives them sustenance and things to provide for his unfaithful wife while she's living with another man. And time and time again you see Hosea provide for an unfaithful bride. And eventually those men are not able to provide for anymore and eventually Gomer finds herself on the slave blocks. Now imagine this for a moment. Imagine being Hosea. Your wife is probably without clothing up on a slave blocks. You're in a crowd like this and the men are bidding on your wife. They're trying to buy your wife who's been unfaithful to you. And there you are in the crowd buying back at your own cost. You're buying back an unfaithful bride. Imagine that. That's the story that Paul takes us back to. Why? Because listen, Israel was Gomer. Israel was the unfaithful wife. They would not have admitted that, but they were. Listen, better than that, you and I are Gomer. The gospel is not God buying back a faithful bride. The gospel is God buying back an unfaithful people. Nobody would read Hosea. Listen, nobody would read Hosea if they know the story and say Gomer is the hero. Hosea was the hero. That's the whole point. Hosea was the one that was merciful. Undeserved mercy to buy his wife back and bring her home at his own cost to potentially raise children that may not have even been his. Does that make sense? That's what the story that Paul uses to illustrate how God is forming his people by his and through his own mercy. Hosea is a picture of the faithfulness of God. It's a picture of a God who would pursue a wicked and adulterous and unfaithful creation and make a way for them to be reconciled back to himself at his own cost. God is making a people out of a people who are not his people, who are not naturally his people, and who do not deserve to be his people. Again, all his mercy, all due to his mercy. It's not based on ethnicity, and th- that was the stumbling block. Works, ethnicity, none of that. Peter himself quotes this in 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 his in in First Peter chapter two, verse ten. You, same thing, Peter himself, you who, for you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. All, listen, all do the mercy of God that sinners can be brought back into the people of God and even Gentiles like you and me. That's verse 24 and 25 and 26. Be listen, be amazed that there is any way as a sinner for you to be reconciled back to God. Be amazed. And in verse 27, Paul, you know, again he applies 25 and 26, he applies that to the Gentiles. And in 27 and 28, Paul speaks concerning Israel in a sense. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it's the remnant that will be saved, for the Lord will execute His word on the earth thoroughly and quickly. Just as Isaiah foretold, unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a posterity, we would have become like Sodom and would have been resembled Gomorrah. Paul quotes, write it down, Isaiah 10, verses 22 and 23. Again, Paul goes back, reaches back into the Old Testament to prove that what God is doing in His day, to prove that what God is doing in our day, has everything to do with the faithfulness of God. Not all Israel is Israel. Why are many people in Israel, why are many Jews separated from God? You know what Paul says? Because they've always been separated from God apart from His mercy. Even in the Old Testament, it was a remnant. Not all Israel was Israel. There was a remnant. And were it not for the sovereign mercy of God, were it not for the greatness and the faithfulness of God, what does it Paul say? There wouldn't be an Israel. Apart from the mercy of God. God did that. God is the hero, not Israel and not man. God remains faithful in the midst of Israel's unfaithfulness. That's the story of of Hosea. But that's also the story of Isaiah. If you go back and read the book of Isaiah, God tells Isaiah, you're going to spend your whole life preaching to a people who will not listen to you. That'll bless you. Spend your whole life listening to a people that are going to ignore you and not listen to you. But you be faithful. Again, even in verse 29 of Romans 9, uh, we see Isaiah 1, 9 quoted. Again, to prove God's point, just like Hosea proves his point. God's faithfulness and God's glory is the backbone of everything. He says, had God not done this, we would have been like Sodom and we would have been like Gomorrah. The thought that ought to overwhelm us is this. How how bad? I mean, not that we're not. We're, but I, who knows how bad I would be apart from the mercy of God? Who knows where I would be right here today were it not for the mercy of God? That's essentially what Paul is saying. And again, the word remnant here plays a key role. Not all Israel was saved. That's the present issue that Paul is addressing. And you know what? Paul quotes the Old Testament to show that's always been the case. Not all Israel is Israel, a national Israel and a spiritual Israel, if you will, a, a, an ethnic people of God and a, and a chosen, again, called out, separate people of God. Paul talk, Peter talks about that in Romans, I mean, in 1 Peter 2 as well. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, again, going back to the mercy of God. God is the hero doing this, making a way for your sin to be forgiven, It's not works, it's not ethnicity, it's nothing deserved. There's been one way. Listen, nobody is naturally the people of God. Even back in Deuteronomy 7, you see a picture of God choosing, in a sense, adopting, initiating, offering His sovereign mercy, if you will, to Israel, who were not His people. Deuteronomy 7. They didn't deserve it. They were the least likely, if you read Deuteronomy 7, the least likely. And yet now, we have the privilege of calling God our Father, of being called sons and daughters. That's Romans again, this section. But that's why Paul can quote Hosea, specifically Hosea 1.10, and refer even to the Gentiles, even though in the original text it might not have referred specifically to the Gentiles. Because, again, if you read Galatians 3, all those who are children of Abraham are sons of God. And through faith in Christ we are grafted into the family, the people of Abraham. That's what Galatians 3 is all about. You get into Abraham's family by faith, not ethnicity faith. And this free offer, free offer of mercy to whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord is due. It's the mercy of God. It's pictured in Hosea offering it to Gomer. It's pictured in God offering it to a world. We have sinned. We have rebelled. We have chosen to be our own gods We have chosen what right and wrong is for ourselves. And yet God in his great mercy says, I'm going to crucify my son so that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord could be saved. And out of those people, I will make my people. And you see it on the handout. Paul's point is to show that Abraham's true descendants are freely selected by God from among all people's group, not one ethnicity. Again, even Matthew eighteen—I mean, 8, verse 11, Jesus himself affirms this. Write down Matthew 8, verse 11. I'll read it. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness and their place will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I will call my people who are not my... I'm going to make my people out of people who are not my people, and there's going to be people who are not in my people that are going to be surprised they're not in my people. Listen, we'll be surprised at who's in heaven, namely this guy right here. And the result, the result of this truth, again is that Christianity is not a religion of going through the rituals. It's not a religion of trying to keep a bunch of rules to gain a standing with God. It's not you and I trying to get to the top of the mountain to get to God. Christianity is a picture of the God on top of the mountain came down off the mountain. And he came to you. And he came to me. And he offered mercy where we deserved wrath. He's forging a people out of a people who are not his people. We saw that in Romans eight, while we were yet sin—I mean Romans five eight, excuse me—while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is not about genealogy. It's not about ethnicity. This is about a gracious, compassionate, merciful God offering salvation from the wrath due your sins. That's the hero. Why Hosea? Because God is literally saving you and I out of the slave market of sin and death when you are redeemed. This is Colossians 1.12. Has, he has transferred you out of a domain of darkness and transferred you into the glorious kingdom of light. A whole new realm in which you exist, believer. Undeserved. Formerly you were not his people, you were not beloved, and now you are beloved. Formerly you were not his children, you were his creation, and now through Christ and faith you can be his children. Even, even Gentiles. And again, if you read, again, going back to Ephesians, Paul says this is a mystery. But this mystery is great. Listen, be be amazed. Be amazed at the gratefulness of God. But this what Paul is saying is, if you knew your Old Testament, you wouldn't be surprised at this. if you knew the story well, you wouldn't be surprised at this. secondly, again, proves what God is doing proves his faithfulness verses again thirty through thirty three speak to this, and you see this number two on the on the handout: God is just and faithful in the inclusion of the Gentiles and even the exclusion of some Jews. Because he freely grants his merciful adoption to all people solely by looking to Jesus through faith for your righteousness. And not, and again, looking from everything else. Looking to Christ alone. Again, we've said it before, the issue with the gospel is how does God righteously declare sinners to be righteous? How does a holy God, how does a holy God declare sinners to be righteous without compromising his holiness how is a person credited with righteousness that's the million dollar question and every ounce of our being wants to claim ownership every ounce of our being wants to look to something we did or didn't do to warrant that and that's why we stumble because the cross obliterates every ounce of self-sufficiency, every ounce of pride, every ounce of everything that we might cling to to say, hey, here's my resume. And God says, you know what? On your resume, believer, there's one name, and the name is Christ. That's your resume. Christ. Everything else flows from that. I'm not saying we don't obey, or I don't hear me say that. But the, the, how are we declared righteous? Christ. Faith in Christ. And Paul is showing here why, very clearly why, much of Israel has been rejected and why many Gentiles have been received. Look at it. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith, but Israel pursuing a law of righteousness did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it was by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. This is the question. This is the the mystery. How does somebody not get what they did pursue and how does somebody get what they didn't pursue? It's how you pursue it. How you pursue it. And you see it on your handout. Gentiles have been granted mercy and have entered God's true people because they did not pursue a righteousness of their own. But they they looked to Christ through faith. And Israel has missed out Because they did pursue a righteousness of their own. There's a thick irony here. Getting what you didn't pursue and not getting what you did pursue? And how is God faithful in this? Again, Paul is writing to make sure you know it ain't because of the faithfulness of God. Again, look at verse 32. It's how you pursue it. Gentiles responded in faith, Israel thought they could earn it, therefore many Gentiles are included many many Jews are excluded. That's the upside down nature of God's kingdom. You pridefully think you deserve it, you don't get it. You humbly realize you don't deserve it, and you get it and God opposes the proud james four six all over God is opposed to the proud and yet he gives grace to the humble. And all over the word, Old Testament, New Testament, here's the point, you see it in our handout, what Paul shows us is that faith matters, not biology. God's calling, God has the freedom to call and form his people, however and from whomever he wants. God is free to do that. And listen, if it means people miss Christ, that does not compromise the faithfulness of God at all. Why? Because he has publicly portrayed Christ as crucified and you stumble over it. Why? Because you want to pursue it another way. You don't want to humble yourself. Again, God has offered Christ. He has clearly made a way for our sin to be forgiven. A sin to be forgiven justly. Our sin to be forgiven righteously. Our, our, and, and Israel stumbled over it. But listen, we're stumbling over today. We live in a culture and people are stumbling over it. Again, Daniel quoted it, but you go to 1 Corinthians one 20, I mean, chapter 1, starting in verse 18. The word of cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Go to 23, we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are all the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. You say, how could somebody stumble over it? It's right there, listen. We see it in our own life. Have you ever been so preoccupied by something and you think you know exactly how something is that you stumble over the other thing that's obvious? We've all done it. We get in our minds. We know exactly how it is and we know what it is and the way it is and we stumble over what's clearly there in plain view because it doesn't fit what we were looking for. It doesn't fit how we would have do it, so we don't pay attention to it. And you see it in a handout. People stumble over Christ in the cross because it undermines our self-righteousness and it's contrary to how we would do things. It's foreign to us and so we miss it. It confronts our pride and so we set it aside. It robs us of being the hero and so we want to push it away. Our flesh doesn't want any part of it. Listen, we miss Christ because this world preoccupies us with other things. And we miss what is right in front of us. It doesn't make sense, and so we ignore it. It doesn't jive with our human wisdom, and so we set it aside. Whether you were Israel then or Gentiles today, listen, we need a substitute, and we need a substitute righteousness by faith, not the law. And it wasn't that the law was bad. Again, Galatians 3.24, the law was a tutor to lead you to Christ. A tutor serves a time for a certain time, and then when you pass the test, you don't need the tutor. You look to Christ. And again, it wasn't meant to, to make us try harder. It was meant to make us fall on our knees that we can't do it. We need a substitute. And you see on your handout, Israel failed to see Christ as the culmination of the plan of God. And to which everything pointed, everything pointed to Christ. They sought a righteousness through the law. They sought a righteousness through works. And God has offered a righteousness outside of us, apart from works. The preoccupation is with Christ. Our security is from sonship. From being, not doing. All the doing flows out of the being. And again, as we saw earlier in in the Lord's Supper, Galatians 2, 21. If I do not nullify the grace of God. The same thing Paul is saying in Romans 9. This faith doesn't nullify the grace of God. If righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Why did Christ die if you could be declared righteous any other way? doesn't make sense. But again, that's why the law is offensive. That's why the cross is foolishness and offensive, because it undermines our effort. It undermines our works. It undermines our pride. We want to be the hero. And you see it on your handout Christ's death proves we can't save ourselves, and that confronts our pride. And so we set the cross aside. And again, verse 33 all of this, again, to prove God is faithful. I, again, Paul quotes Isaiah um, 28 here, and, and Isaiah 8. Even Peter himself, in First Peter 2, quotes this. Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Where's your hope? Isaiah 28:16. Connect this to the Old Testament. Isaiah 8:14. All predict this would happen. And God is, Paul's point is, God is the one that is doing this, and His mercy is the one that is doing this. Again, therefore, His faithfulness is not in question. If you knew your Old Testament well, you wouldn't be surprised. Again, God has laid Christ as the foundation. See 1 Corinthians 3.11. Be amazed. Again, not that there's only one way, but that there's any way. And every single man and woman in here today is faced with this question. Every single man and woman in this world is faced with this question. How will I relate to the person of Jesus Christ? What, what? How is someone saved from the penalty of their sins? Here's your options on your handout. Will I look through faith to Christ alone as my foundation and source of righteousness? Or will I look beyond Christ to something else and stumble over Christ? Two options. God has faithfully made a way for us who are not his people to be his people, but it's going to come through faith in Christ. Not ethnicity, not works, not birth, any of that. Not birth order. It's going to come through the promise. That's what we saw with Isaac and Ishmael. That's what we saw with Jacob and Esau. It's not birth order. It's not works. It's promise. And as we move into chapter 10, be reminded here. I, I, I gave you a summary real quick, and I debated this, but I thought it'd be good to, re, to remind us of what we've seen in Romans 9 as we move into to chapter 10, and it's there in your handout. Verses 1 through 5, Paul shows the paradox of Israel's privilege yet separation. Huge privilege Israel had, and yet they were separated from Christ. There's a paradox there. How can this be explained? That's what Paul does in Romans 9. Verses 6 through 13, he makes it very clear that God is not unfaithful. They're separated from Christ not because God has been unfaithful. Verses 14 through 18, Israel's rejection of Christ is not because God has been unjust. Verses 19 through 29, it's not because God has been unfair. And here, Paul nails it and he says, it's because of your pride. Therefore, God is, God is cleaned of any and cleared of any accusation of unfaithfulness. It's your pride. You see it on your handout. The only reason why anyone is saved from God's wrath due their sin is because of the sovereign mercy of God of making a way that there was no other way. It's mercy. And and, and, and that and again. We also see here the only reason someone is condemned of their sin is because they reject Christ. God is sovereign; we're responsible. Both are true; two sides of the same coin. There's a tension there, but 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 that, there's so much wonderful truth, and that's what I want to park on in our closing minutes as we kind of you know close Romans nine, but not really because t- 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 whoever name Tony I had to get it out there, Peter, Paul, Tony is going to talk about even what we see next week. What all of this comes back to is the character of God. When, when, when life is crazy, what we need a God that is certain. We need a God whose character is certain. We, we, need a, we need someone that we know in the midst of the storm that we can tether ourselves to and it will be sure And the gospel is so much richer because it is built upon God and His character and His mercy. And a couple of of applications for us to to dwell on here as we wrap this thing up. The first one is this: here's the good news. A non-religious background doesn't automatically exclude you from God's mercy. Doesn't matter if you don't have the right genealogy, doesn't matter if you don't have the right background. Listen, it doesn't matter. What you, how you grew up, what you did as you grew up—it doesn't matter how you come in here. Romans five twenty, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. The beauty in God being free to give His mercy however He, however he wants is this: you and I operate this way. Someone may, co- my kids may come to me and I and they'll t- and like, man, if you hadn't have done that, oh, it's, it's out of you're out of my reach. I can't. There'll be circumstances where I just can't fix that. Here's the beauty, that'll never be the case because God is the one who freely gives out the mercy however he wants. Nothing about your past can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, except your pride. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Period. Your background will not, oh, I've done too much, he can never forgive me. That's a lie from Satan. And that's the beauty of God being free. It's not about you and I earning it. It's not about you and I not earning. We from birth don't deserve it. Our sinning just displays that sinful nature. And yet God has freely offered his mercy. And is making a people... Out of a people who are not his people. That's good news to those of us who are not his people. Secondly, a religious background, the flip side of that is this a religious background doesn't automatically include you in the people of God. And that may be just as much offensive as the other. It doesn't matter how you grew up, it doesn't matter that you go to church doesn't matter that you read your Bible unless you're doing it as because you're looking to Christ through faith as a child of God. You can be religious all day. You can do all these great things. Listen, unless you're looking to Christ for your righteousness, you will not be saved. It's it's God's mercy. It's not your effort. Thirdly. Thirdly, here's here's a realization that we've got to realize as we look around, and that's why on these shirts uh, that would say transformed and unified by the gospel, salvation brings us into the diverse spiritual family of God's people. God is forming a people out of a people that were not his people. Listen, when you look around just this room right now, it's a diverse group. We differ on age, we differ on race, we differ on ethnicity, Some of it is different on primary language that we speak. Here's where we're united, the mercy of God. Here's where our unity is, the gospel. You know, you take a family and, you know, three or four adopted kids. It'd be about, you know, you and I arguing over this stuff would be as foolish as them arguing over which one deserved to be adopted over the other none of you did you're in by the grace of the another by the mercy of another and through that mercy God has made this is my brother Alicia's my sister through Christ do we see things differently yes not the gospel and Satan wants us to make our unity about our color of our skin or our disunity or unity. Uh, our, our language, our habits, our how we dress, what we watch, what we eat, what we drink. Blah. Listen, our unity is in the gospel. At the end of the day, I got two kids that couldn't be more different. Here's what binds them, their last name. Their last name. What binds you and I is the mercy of God. And Satan wants us to make these other differences the primary thing and we neglect the gospel. God is not forming a people based on uniformity. He's building a people, unifying them out of great diversity and through that we can reach a whole lot more people. Racism and arguing over music style and clothes and movies listen that's that's the enemy listen as we mature listen as we mature some of those things are going to go by the wayside but that's part of the problem we're infants you know what infants do infants argue over silly stuff right 100 toys in that room i guarantee you four of those kids are arguing over one toy right And you know why they're mad? Because that person touched it. Oh, you got it before I did. Well, tell your mom and daddy to get here sooner and you get the toy. Hello. Hello. You know, if you're like us, it's like, well, just buy two of them to shut them up and make our life easier. I don't care. Listen, we got to grow up. And forgive me for, I I mean, I'm I'm just, really, guys. Spiritual immaturity is killing the people of God. It's killing our effectiveness. It's killing our saltiness to the world. We're divided and fighting over stuff that means nothing in the big scheme of things and the gospel is left behind. The same humility that calls us into the people is the same humility God demands of his people. We ought to be amazed the fact that we're god's people that ought to overwhelm us that we are children of god and it ought to free us to go take great risks and bold risks because we didn't earn it we can't lose it it's not like tomorrow god's going to discover something about chris basham that he didn't know and be like whoa had i known that i wouldn't offer it." god knows everything there is to know about chris basham and yet he still offered me mercy And lastly, tying into the maturity thing, listen: we rob ourselves of security and mercy and encouragement and hope when we don't know the Bible well. Listen, I'm gonna uh, forgive me, but you know we got a bunch of visitors here, and we, we're 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 not gonna pull any punches here. Uh, forgive me. I, I want to do it lovingly and mercifully, but but we're not pulling any punches. Biblical ignorance has hum- has humongous consequences. Neglecting huge chunks of this word has humongous consequences. Romans 15, 4, he says, search the scriptures why and know them well. And he's talking about the Old Testament. He says, so that in them you might have hope. You rob yourself of the word. You rob yourself of huge chunks of the word. Listen, you're robbing yourself of hope. You're robbing yourself of seeing a God who has been faithful in spite of tremendous sin and He never wavered on His promises. We need to know the Old Testament. We need to know the whole story. We need to be able to put the parts of the story together so that we can have hope. The Bible is one single story of a gracious, merciful God redeeming His creation. And the whole story fits together in Christ. Read it that way. Don't leave the Old Testament behind. I thought about it this week. It would be like not, I mean, neglecting the Bible and parts of the Bible even would be like, would be like not reading four chapters of a book. It'd be like going away for 40 minutes of a movie and coming back and expecting to know what's going on. You can't do that. Even the hard parts, it's only good news when you grasp the bad news. Listen, and, and this is a silly illustration, and, and, and even this, you know, people may get offended. My son loves Star Wars. Yeah, the pastor let his son watch Star Wars. Forgive me. If that's the worst thing you can say about me, phew. Listen, he knows them all. He, holds, he knows the whole narrative. He knows who's related to who. He knows who ain't related to who. He knows the order of the movies. I mean, you lost me when three, four, five, when one, two, three is actually three, four, five. Like, I don't, I don't, I can't figure that out. Why you would do that is beyond me. Like, started, anyway. And listen, we went recently when the new one came out, we watched the new one. And because, listen. Because he knows the whole story, because he knows all, all of them. His enjoyment of that new Star Wars movie was exponentially greater than mine. I sat through the whole movie. I appreciated it for what it was. I didn't have a clue what was going on. He wants to talk to me about it afterwards like, Bradley, I don't even know who Kylo Ren is. I don't even know if, does Darth Vader even exist anymore? I know nothing. Like, I don't know who his daddy is. I don't know who his brother is. Nothing. Listen, here, but here's the deal. I could appreciate only a small part of that movie. You know why? Because I didn't know the whole narrative. And My son is taking the time to study. He knows the stories well. I kept asking him questions, trying to put the pieces together. And listen, it's the same with the Scriptures. If you don't know certain books, if you don't have a handle on certain books, you're robbing yourself of the narrative. You're not enjoying what's going on right now to the degree that you could be because you don't know what God is doing and you're missing the faithfulness of God. Bradley saw things that he he thought, that is so cool how they did that. Like, I thought they were just having a conversation. Like, no, there's so much behind that. And Bradley appreciated that because he knew the narrative. you see it in the handout. Israel's exclusion and the Gentiles' inclusion should come as no surprise if we really knew the Word well. And these things do not de- constitute a departure from the Word in the Old Testament, but rather were predicted in the Old Testament. What, what they're seeing does not make God unfaithful. It actually makes God faithful. What we're seeing in the world around us And the culture changing rapidly and being anti-Christian more. Listen, it doesn't say God is weak. It says that God's word is true because God said that would happen. But if we don't know the story well, we lose hope. Listen, God remains eternally faithful and just. That's the point of Romans 9. And if you're separated from Christ today, it isn't because God has not been faithful. It's because your pride won't let you repent. And you're going to stumble over the stumbling stone. And if you're a believer today, the gospel is not prayer, prayer, walk an aisle and whatever and then just move on. The gospel is living every day in my light of the righteousness that Christ has given me. Every day you wake up and you are righteous in Christ. Go live accordingly. Look to the gospel on day one of your salvation. Look to the gospel on day 100 of your salvation. Look to the gospel on day 30. Be amazed at the mercy of God and live in light of the righteousness that God has given you. And in that, this world will see our God is faithful.